Welcome to another PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. I am your guest host, John Neves. Episode number 57. How are you? I hope you're all doing well. Back here to talk about our favorite subject, your favorite subject, and that is, of course, Portuguese football, Portuguese soccer, whatever word you use in your part of the world. Uh, busy week ahead. Uh, of course, Classico this weekend. Um, we have the second legs of the Taça de Portugal coming up this week on Wednesday and uh, Thursday. And then, of course, uh, league action again next uh, weekend. And uh, also in this podcast, and boy, are you going to look forward to this, a great interview with Mark Santos, the Portuguese-born Canadian-bred manager over at the Vancouver Whitecaps FC of Major League Soccer. We talked about everything from what it's like to manage in a pandemic to having to leave Canada, go to the U.S. to set up camp because the borders are closed and what it's like to have to play in another uh, city, um, and, you know, in Major League Soccer. Um, we talked about the Liga, uh, his thoughts on Ruben Amarin, uh, his relationship with Porto. You're going to hear some fascinating stuff. Um, and then, of course, we also talked about Bruno Gaspar and... Otavio, who have been linked in the press. So looking forward, and that'll be coming up in a few moments. But as far as the schedule goes, of course, this weekend is the Classico, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I went into a lot of detail in the previous episode last week. But it's very simple, folks, what we have going on this weekend. If uh, Sporting win, I think that it's pretty much tough for Porto or Benfica or anybody to catch up. Mathematically, of course, it's still possible. But realistically, it's hard to see a team like Sporting, which hasn't lost all year, um, all of a sudden giving up 11, 12, 13 points. Um, Braga is only 11 points behind. So if Sporting win this weekend and Braga win, then you know Braga will be in second place. But even then, I think it's it's just going to be uh, very tough to catch uh, Sporting at 11 points. Um, if Porto win, then... There's life back into injects life back into the title race, and certainly Porto put themselves in a position being only several points behind. But if tomorrow is a draw, then I think that benefits Sporting, um, you know, immensely. To to be honest with you, so that's going to happen uh, this weekend. Uh, this week we also have the Taça de Portugal, the second legs. Uh, Wednesday is the real good match. Uh, Braga going to Porto. Uh, first leg one one. Porto getting the away goal. Um, of course, if you remembered, uh, Porto and Braga played back-to-back the first time for the Liga, the second time for the Taça de Portugal Portuguese Cup. Uh, heated matches, cards, it, bad injuries, um, you know, the type that you would expect between uh, two regional teams battling for, you know, a big objective. Um, so that's going to be a very good match. That could go either way. Although I think uh, Porto, in my opinion, has the favorite in that one to advance. Uh, Benfica plays Thursday against second division Estoril. Benfica, of course, took care of business in the first leg, winning at Estoril 3-1. to one. So um, I just don't see Benfica losing this. Um, worst case, they draw, but they still uh, you know, go through. Um, unless Benfica has another Greek tragedy uh, where they give up a bunch of goals in the second half. I, I just don't see how Estoril is going to uh, come back um, and uh, beat them. So those are the two matches. And then, uh, and by the way, better late than ever. Uh, week 22, round 22 begins next Friday. And the Liga today finally announced uh, the schedule. It gets underway on Friday 
with sporting playing. Porto plays on Saturday. Don't forget, Porto's got to play in the middle of that week at Juventus for the second leg of the Champions League. So uh, you can find that schedule on PortugueseSoccer.com or the Twitter, Facebook, and social media feeds. So that's pretty much the week. Clásico this weekend. Taça de Portugal coming up the middle of this week. And then week 22, um, 22 uh, next weekend. And of course, uh, 34 weeks in the season and 21 and 22 is uh, going to be coming up. Coming up next, the interview with Vancouver Whitecaps FC manager, Marcos dos Santos. Part two of the PortugueseSoccer.com podcast, and I'm very excited to hear, have here as my guest the manager, Portuguese-born, Canadian-bred manager of the Vancouver Whitecaps FC, Mark Dos Santos. Mark, thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure for me. Thank you so, so much for having me. Uh, let me ask you a question. So um, right now, I know Major League Soccer announced a few weeks ago that uh, this, the season was going to start in mid-April. And I know they discussed that uh, they'll be announcing the schedule soon. And, you know, in normal times, you guys would be starting, correct me not if I'm wrong, next weekend. Yes, we, we would. Uh, but unfortunately, there's a reality uh, with, uh, with what the world is offering you in the world of sports. And then many times people tell me, yeah, but in Portugal, they do it. But in Spain, they do it. Yeah, the reality is these are very big countries in history, but very small countries when it comes to demography. And it's small countries. When you're talking about MLS, you're talking about two very big countries being Canada and US together and playing a league where there's a border. So of course that we're aware of the challenges that all of that have, and uh, we just have to be ready to adapt. Yeah, now right now, um, you guys are, like I said, you're scheduled to play in mid-April. Um, what can you tell us today? I mean, when does the schedule come out and how do you do preseason with all these question marks? Look, what I'm going to tell you is zero political. And if the people that know me well, I'm kind of a direct person. So th th there's nothing political in, in my answer. I do not know yet what the schedule looks like. So <laughs> it's not like I'm hiding a scoop. No, I don't know at this date that we're talking, uh, February 26th, I don't know what the schedule looks like. I do know that the plan is for the weekend of the 17th of April to have the first uh, MLS uh, match day. Uh, so are we going to play the 17th, the 18th? I still don't know. I don't know again, Sue. I don't know if we're home or away. And when you talk home, it's in Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. uh, the challenges of a preseason is Normally, we're, we're used to leave our city, go to camp, go to a place where you could lock the team together, play exhibition games. Uh, and right now, for us Canadian teams, one of the challenges, I was just finalizing a few things in the schedule today with the staff, and we have three dates in March that would be ideal dates to have exhibition games. But right now, we cannot play exhibition games. Right now, we can't play against anyone. Right now, we're, there's so many rules that uh, if an, Amer an MLS team, let's say Seattle or Portland, want to fly to play us, they have to quarantine 14 days yeah. before they play us. 
there's also the challenges with the CPL teams that have to be in the same kind of bubble that we are. So if we want to play a CPL team, they have to be tested the same amount of time than us. There's so many challenges, even to have an exhibition game against a beer league team today would be incredibly challenging because of the rules that are around that. So this has been by far, but by far not even close, the most challenging setup in organizing everything that I ever had in a preseason. Yeah, for a lot of people that are wondering, so the United uh, there are three MLS teams in Canada that play in Major League Soccer. The border is closed between the USA and Canada. So as a result, all the teams that play professional sports in the United States, the Toronto Raptors, for instance, the Toronto Blue Jays, you know, Montreal, Toronto FC, uh, obviously the hockey teams, although the hockey teams are playing everything in Canada. As a result, they've all got to move to the United States to play their games and set up camp. And you guys are going to, uh, like we said, Utah. Last year you were in Portland, correct? We were in Portland, but Portland was a little bit more of a, of a month you maybe five weeks and now you're talking about a minimum of three months but from what i see in the country with what i see how it's things are going uh, when it comes to managing the pandemic i believe it's going to be more than a minimum of three months but that's only a belief i have based on reading the news looking at what our our health officers are saying but minimum, it's going to be at three months. So is it challenging? Just tell yourself that we're, we're not Navy SEALs uh, right. leaving for seven, eight months to Iraq or Afghanistan and coming back. But it looks like that a little bit. Not, not that it's a word, but it looks the way we're going to another city and camp there to play soccer games. So the there's, there's no doubt, there's no doubt that the Canadian teams are starting the season with less weapons than the American teams. That's just the reality. We're going to have to be incredibly strong mentally. We're going to have to keep the guys together. We're going to have to have a spirit, a little bit of us against the rest. Uh, because you're not playing home, you're not living home. Some families are staying behind because of school of kids. It brings separation. It brings distance between wife and husband, and there's it brings tension, stress. It's not comfortable. So, but again, again, there's somebody that told me, "Well, that's not soccer. It's not normal." No, it's not normal because it's new, because. This never happened. This is new for everybody. Yeah. So maybe this is going to be normal one day, what we're doing. But right now, of course, it's not normal. We're, I, I, I had somebody telling me we were now the, 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 the salt lake, the white cap salt lake or the salt mm. lake white caps. Yeah. So that's, that's different. Yeah, no, it's a big challenge. And you're right with a lot of the Canadian teams having to basically, it's like a three month estagio coming up for you. Like you're just going to be, you know, setting up there. Uh, Look, I... ask, ask players, ask players when they're two weeks in the stagio or two weeks in a training camp. Yeah. 
when it gets to the second week, at the end of the second week, yeah. they all go home. They said, okay, we had enough. We might, it might be more than three months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the vaccine is rolling out in North America and uh, the USA and Canada, like you said, are big countries, not like small countries like Portugal. So it's going to take a very long time to get this uh, under control. Um, sticking with uh, talking about the uh, whitecaps, um, I know there's been some news back to Portugal. Vancouver has been in the news with regard to several players that have been linked with. Uh, the first one was uh, Otavio of Porto. And I think you've already commented on that with regards to the fact that uh, I think Ojogo said that he, um, you know, right now he's looking to stay in Europe. Was that something that was, was really serious or was that just agents made up? It was 1000% serious. Our approach mm. was public, it leaked. So I'm not lying, it leaked. They showed in a, in a Telejournal Sik uh, one day. Uh, Those guys public. always seem to get these things. Those guys that do the shows, like the agent shows, they always got the inside scoops. They, they do, do sometimes get it right. They're, they're special. There's something very special in, uh, in the world of soccer. It's that you really cannot trust anybody. That's just the reality. You can't trust anybody in this sport. Uh, what I could tell you is that the interest was real. The interest was possible. We spoke. Uh, I spoke with the player also. So the, the, the thing was not that the problem was Porto, the player, our club, uh, how much we offered, nothing to do with that. Uh, when we saw the opportunity for having him, we jumped at it because there was a problem with with um, his renewal of contract in Portugal and also that he was becoming free in June. And we went for real, we went, we did a wall work, we, we sold our, uh, the, the project, but I also understand his age. I understand that he plays in Champions League. I understand that teams that are big clubs with big history are interested in him um that's the truth about about Otavio yeah now the other player that they're mentioning and they're saying it's actually close to being a done deal and that's uh Bruno Gaspar of Sporting well I I don't want to comment on that one because uh that one is still something in the works it's a possibility but I want to respect all the parties involved yeah and you know the other thing I was thinking about that's also got to be tough is whoever you guys sign Wherever they go, they got to quarantine right yeah. away. You know, you're not going to be able to just, you know, they do well, the video, look, the introduction just, and all that. Just look at the talks I have with some players. Uh, so we have a process until we get to the player, right? That comes from agents, scouts, or scouting department. So many things that come in together. And those things um, together make us go towards the player we want. Once we collect all the data, all the information, and now we want the player, and we feel that the player is also interested in the financials work and all the line, there's so many dots that have to get aligned. Yeah. Well, finally, there's the, the us telling the truth to the player, saying, look, buddy, you're coming here, we're trying to get you, but before you sign any paper, let us tell you the truth. You might fly here with your family and kids. 
you quarantine, your family finds a nice house, you guys are happy, you love Vancouver, but then the family stays there, you're taking a flight to go three months minimum to Salt Lake. Do you want to do that? Does your family want to do that? Because we need to be honest with the people we bring in. Yeah. Right? We can't just, yeah, everything. And when they arrive, oh, by the way, we're leaving, you're going alone. We can't do that. So, of course, that, you know, you have to, inside this reality, manage the, the, the reality of, um, of uh, what targets can you get? What are the realistic targets? Because some players want to do that. And to be honest with you, other, other ones just tell you, look, when the league gets back to normal, maybe we could have another discussion. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And sometimes a lot of it isn't true. And sometimes there is a discussion and then things don't happen. But uh, one of the newspapers in uh, Portugal, Mais Football, have been reporting that, you know, I'm just mentioning it as Bruno, but I appreciate you talking about it. Uh, let me ask you a question before I get on with your career. Um, you know, a lot of people in Portugal sort of look at MLS and don't see it as like a great league. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. They, uh, I find it amazing because there's a lot of players that have come to play in the United States and they love it. I remember a few years ago, Yannick Dijolo went to play for San Jose yeah. and he loved it. His family loved living in California. Yeah. Nani seems to really has adopted well in Florida. Pedro Santos has been, you know, he's going on three, four years now at, at Columbus. Um, is it hard, you know, and obviously, look, I'm a PortugueseSoccer.com podcast, but do you always find that among Portuguese players, I think if you're a player that plays for a big three and you have a chance to go to a top five league, it's understandable why they would want to stay in Europe. But if you're a player that maybe has a chance to come play in MLS for a few years and build up your name and then go back to your club, this is a great opportunity too. I mean, not every player like Orta made it with Los Angeles, but do you ever find that that more often than not, at least that's what I hear, players are very reluctant to come to Major League Soccer. Yeah, but that's maybe you don't have the, the, the real information when it comes to that, because I'll tell you this, the players that are at Sporting, Benfica, Porto, even to some extent, Braga and Guimarães, to some extent, they, they, they want to be in Europe. They're playing Europa League. They, wanna, they have the dream to get to the La Liga, Serie A, Premier League, Bundesliga. Yes. But after Guimarães down, I guarantee you the amount of agents and players that want to come to MLS is huge, is huge. Who's reluctant is my uncle that goes to the Portuguese cafe. He plays <laughs> cards and he says, yeah, the, the Liga, Liga Noz is better than MLS. You know, uh, in Portuguese, uh, o treinador de bancada. These are reluctant. They still live in a, in a place that they say, oh, in Portugal, guys of second division would go to MLS and be good. And it's not true. And it's not true. You might find if you scout well one or another, but it's not true. So I think the guys that are, there's still this a little bit of um, ignorance, I would say, of some immigrants, Portuguese, Canadian, Portuguese, American, Italian, Canadian, Italian, American, that, that, the culture is still, ah, come on, Pas uh, Ferreira is better. They would win MLS Cup. Right. No, they, they would not. They would yeah. not. 
And also because investments are different. You know, a team like LAFC could buy a Carlos Vela for, for $7 million. Pas Ferreira cannot do that. So it's normal that LAFC could have better players than Passos. But I'm just saying that because I think there's still a little bit ignorance. In, in I know that because of my family. So I'm not... I'm a guy that when I'm in Montreal, that there's a big community, I go to the Portuguese cafe, or I used to go before pandemic, and I would hear things. The same I hear with Italian community or Greek community. But the play, the people that are educated about MLS and educated about the game really to the, the full extent, they, they want to come here. They want to come here. But... The ones that, the kid that is at Passos, I'll give you an example, Steven Estaki. Yep. And, and let's say we try to go after him or New York Red Bull or, or Toronto FC, whatever. Because this kid is still young and he still sees it, himself as a possibility of touching Porto, Sporting, Benfica, well, this kid might say, no, for the next year, I still want to be here because I feel I'm very close. And it's normal that if you're Portuguese and, and, and you're from there, that your dream is to play for Porto, Benfica, or Sporting and, instead of playing for, for, for an MLS club. I think that's normal. By the way, we all have that type of uncle that says what your oh. uncle says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. We all we all have that. And by the way, I I agree with you. I think um you know, I think when you talk about the big 3 and you talk about a Braga which is become a big club. I mean, you know, they made it to Europa final 9 years ago, but if they finish second this year, they automatically go to the Champions League and those 40 million euros, that changes a club overnight. You know, all of a sudden they're not a little Braga anymore. Now they've got all this money to work with. So I agree. And I think once you start getting down to the smaller clubs in Portugal, they are not, they can't compete with, you know, the, um, like, I, I think in other words, a lot of people in Portugal don't understand that there's a lot of money in MLS. There's a lot of rich people that own a lot of teams. And then most importantly, because this is a reality with some of the clubs in Portugal, you know, you're always going to get a paycheck every two weeks. Yes. You know, exactly. you always, you always know. And, and, uh, but yeah, I have my, I have a lot of people and, but, but uh, and we, we could speak hours about this, yeah. hours, because there's there's players in Liga Nosh, many that want to come here uh, because they feel that they arrived at a certain level in their country that are not going to pass that, so they want to come. Others want to come because what is offered financially is more than what's offered in Portugal. Others don't want to make more money, but want to get paid every two weeks, like you said. Others is because of pressure. I have, I have guys that called me from Brazil that I know in agents and players, but I'm talking about names that I don't want to say. Some are big names. Some are in big clubs in Brazil that are just fed up of losing a game or two or missing a penalty shot and having their wife threaten, they, their kids threaten. Uh, if we find you in the street, we're gonna kick your butt. Uh, the quality of life is also something they think about. So all these pieces together, 
it's what sometimes makes a player take a decision to come here or not. You have a heck of a career. I have to tell you, you've been in a lot of different places. And um, um, first off, you became a head coach. Correct me if I'm wrong. When you were 31 years old. Yes. So you're born in Portugal. You grow up in Canada. And at 31 years old, you become a manager. And at the time you became a manager, was, was the Montreal team, was that in the A-League? The Montreal team was in the USL, United okay. Soccer League. Right. Yeah. So I want everybody to listen to this trajectory of your career because I think it's, it's pretty fascinating. So you were with the Impact. Um, you were with, you know, I think you were with one of their youth teams. And then eventually you become the manager. And then after Montreal, you go to Brazil and you spend a little bit of time in Brazil and you then take over, if I heard this correctly, and I want to hear this story, you took over, I think, Palmeiras' one of their youth teams. I, and... took, over, I took over in Palmeiras the youth equipe juvenile, hmm. juvenile. And at the same time, I was responsible to write about the, 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 what we call the green vision, the document that would be the document that we would follow in our academy. In the academy so i was kind of i had a a part that was assistant to the technical director of the academy and coaching a youth uh, the the juvenile team yeah and you were very and you and you did well and then there was a brazilian journalist that didn't like the fact that you got hired yeah, he's from canada all. a real soccer powerhouse he said yeah yeah i have it here in my in my board to remind me all the time he it says it's the end Palmeiras signs a Canadian coach to take care of their academy. Uh, and I, 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 it was, I did, didn't even coach one game when that article came out. So I think it just shows also the, the type of pressure and in, in what, in what uh, Brazil is about. So after Brazil, uh, you go back to Canada you get an opportunity to manage Ottawa, who was playing in, the, at the time, the NASL League, which was uh, kind of brought back. And you did very well in Ottawa. You made it all the way to the final. I remember I was at that game. You guys played at Hofstra University. You played the New York Cosmos. Um, great game, great game, great day. We, the only thing not great is we lost, but the environment was phenomenal, you know, for, for, the, for what was available. And, uh, yeah tough to lose like that, but it was a good final. Yeah, there were several other Portuguese in that game. Uh, there was Carlos Mendes, who was playing yeah. as his defender for the New York Cosmos. And yeah. then you had uh, Stefan Astokio's brother, Mauro, correct? Yes. He was playing for you. Yes, Mauro was playing for us, yes. Yeah, so you do very well in Ottawa, and then basically you get an opportunity and you go into the United States and you go to manage sort of like the B team of Sporting Kansas City. Or no, you started as an assistant, correct? With Peter no, Vermees? I, I went to Sporting to, to coach the, the B team of Sporting Kansas City. Um, my contract with, uh, with, uh, with Ottawa ended at the end of the final. Of course, there were talks to renew my contract there, but I just felt that um, Ottawa was getting to a stage that they, 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 it was stopping. Uh, the growth and uh, and that's why I'm not surprised today to see Atletico Ottawa and the Fury not being there anymore because I, I already felt going towards there at the end of 2015. So Peter spoke with me and it was an opportunity to coach 
the, the, the B team, the reserve team of Sporting Kansas City, Soul Park Rangers. Um, and it was also the first possibility or opportunity I had to kind of wet my feet to, to feel what MLS was about, to understand the locker room in MLS, the environment with a B team. So uh, that's why I went, to, I went there. So you're there, and then you move on. You go back to the NASL. You go to work for you to become the manager of San Francisco Deltas, and you win the championship. Yes, yes, incredible year. Uh, I went to San Francisco because I believed in what the where the NASL wanted to go and where they wanted to kind of rebuild. But unfortunately, it was. Uh, 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 it was a kind of a nightmare when it comes to how everything unfolded for the league, uh, for a club, for San Francisco, for everything. But what I retain from that is, of course, the final against against New York again. Um, me and Gio, but with different now instead of Cosmos Ottawa, it's San Francisco Cosmos. Um, and it was probably one of the best nights of soccer in the history of San Francisco. Packed Kizar Stadium, great environment. We win uh, the game 2-0, everybody on the field, an incredible night. And uh, unfortunately, it ended there and we have to move on. Yeah, and of course, you're when you said you, you were referring to Giovanni Savarisi. So he yeah. beat you the first time, but you got him the second time. And now you guys, you know, you got this, you know, here you are now both in MLS and you're, you know, he's in Portland and you're in Vancouver. So you guys yeah. always find a way to be there for the big matches. Yeah, it's, I told him that once, you know, of the 27 teams uh, that, that, that are in MLS, we had to be in two teams that are actually rivals, Portland and Vancouver. Uh, but I always believe Gio uh, would, would get in, in MLS. Yeah. He showed a lot of qualities every time in New York. So uh, it's somebody that I respect, and it's somebody until today we had the we had a we have kind of a thing going on since I'm with Ottawa and him with New York of exchanging a bottle of wine every time we play against each <laughs> other, and it still happens today. Uh, and this started in the Ottawa days. Mm. Then after that, you take an opportunity and you go to Los Angeles FC. They're starting up. And is that, that was with Bob Bradley, correct? Yeah, well, what happened is uh, I had a three-year contract with San Francisco Deltas. But of course, that I had to negotiate an exit when, um, when the league blew up uh, because my contract was to go through. Uh, I was just there waiting. So... Uh, San Francisco and I came to an agreement. Uh, the league, uh, the league folded, and then I was caught just home. I thought about taking a sabbatical year. I thought that time, you know what? I'm gonna go study. I'm gonna go spend some time in European clubs to see coaches work, because since 2007 that I had the nonstop in my family moving right and left. And with that comes scars, you know, it's not easy distance with wife, distance with, with kids. And, but I got a call from Bob and Bob just told me that, you know, while I was in this position, um, if I was interested to, to, to go work in LA and, 
for me, it was a huge opportunity because it was a chance to work directly with a coach that coached in the World Cup, coached the US, coached Egypt, coached in France, was in the Premier League, uh, one of the most respected managers in the, the US as an American. I felt this is an opportunity for me to learn, but at the same time, for me to, to know even more deeper the MLS, to get more ready. Um, and in a club like LAFC that had everything going on in the right way, I felt that was a very big opportunity. So I said, yes. Oh, it is a very big opportunity. And uh, did you see a lot of stars? Cause it isn't like various Hollywood stars that own this team. Yeah, no, of course. I saw all of the owners, right, from uh, from Magic Johnson and from what my, my daughter still calls the health, you know. Right. Oh, the health is your owner. The health is one of your owners, you know. So that was that was fun, you know, that was fun. So, so look, that's where we are today. Uh, from there, when it ended, I went straight to... to uh, as soon as it ended, I went to to Vancouver. Uh, as soon as I got the opportunity, I spoke with Bob. He understood it was back in Canada. Uh, it was uh, my first opportunity. So I just said, hey, I have to take it. I have to take it. I have to go. And that's how things happen. Yeah, well, I mean, you're, that's the thing about your career. I mean, you've been at you've sort of been at the bottom level in terms of knowing what it's like when you don't have a lot of money to work with. And now you're, you know, at an MLS club that has resources. So you, you've done actually a lot of good things. And, and by the way, can I assume that one of the best friends in your life is a real estate agent? Because Montreal, Brazil, Ottawa, Missouri, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Vancouver, and now you're going to go to Utah. I mean, wh where have you not going to go to in the future? Or, 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 or an accountant. An accountant also could be my best friend because, man, you, you do your taxes in the U.S. and states that are different. You do your taxes in Canada. You do your taxes in Brazil. Look, what I could tell you is that um, you take decisions in life. And, of course, that there's sometimes moments where you know, you miss the comfort and you miss the, hey, I have to calm down, you know. Um, but right now I'm young. Right now, I, I think I still have years in front of me if everything goes well. And if I stay healthy, you know, we we never know because life has always surprises for you. But I, 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 I want to keep doing this for a while. Um, and it's a decision of life that I took and um, I have to embrace it. But what I tell young coaches, this is what I tell young coaches. It's not easy. It's really not easy. It's really difficult because it takes a, especially it, it's difficult because it takes a toll in on your family. Mm. And that's a decision you have to make. It does take a toll in your family. I only have a few more questions because I know you're very busy with preseason and some fun stuff now, not necessarily you, you know, talking about Vancouver, but now you talking as a fan, do you still keep up to date with the Liga Nage? Are you still a regular yes. follower following yes, Portugal? Yes I, yes, I follow it. Yes. What's, uh, what's your thoughts on the uh, Classico? You think, uh, you know, you think Sporting's got it all wrapped up this year? 
I think Sporting right now put themselves in a position to be champions. Of course, that you know they haven't lost a game yet. Uh, it looks like everybody's behind the project. Uh, Ruben Mourinho doing a great job there. Uh, I think there it, it's going to be very difficult for a team like Porto, Braga, or Benfica to to catch up. Um, do I think that Porto can win the Clásico? Yes, I think they can um, because Porto was unlucky in the, the semi-final uh, game of uh, the League Cup and I think both Porto and Sporting at any moment could beat each other but I still think if Porto wins in the Clásico that the cushion that Sporting has I would be very surprised if they lose it uh, until the end. Yeah, I think uh, I've, I've been saying if Sporting wins tomorrow, even if they draw, then yeah. that would be very hard for you know anybody to catch up. And and, and let me ask you: in your career, um, do you do you talk to a lot of people in Portugal? Are there clubs that you communicate with in terms of just professional? I I seem to recall that you actually made a few trips to FC Porto to see some training sessions back. Yeah. I think in between before you went to Brazil, I think. Is that correct? No, I did a lot. Porto was a club that always helped me a lot in my coaching education, opened the doors. I met uh, Luis Castro, that back then was the technical director of Porto, the academy, and today's the, the coach of Shakhtar. We still keep in contact uh, before Europa League or Champions League games. I wish him luck. Uh, uh, Guilherme Oliveira. Uh, Vitor Frad, all guys that were big in the in the Porto structure and that always opened me the doors when I was doing my UEFA coaching license and I had to do internships and clubs as part of the license. Porto was always very open. But of course, then I got to a certain level in my career where I met people that are that are important in the game in Portugal uh, based on the growth and based on when you reach a certain level, you're able to meet a lot of important people, uh, important agents, uh, people in clubs uh, like Benfica, Sporting, Porto, and I keep contact with uh, with all of them. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Listen, coach, I know you're a very busy person, you know, getting ready for the season, the preseason, and uh, I know right now I envy you. You're in beautiful Vancouver, which is, you know, spectacular. So. Best of luck, man. Boa sorte. E, um, you know, I, I, I'm rooting for you. Thank you. Abraço e obrigado. Final segment of this podcast, and want to talk first about player abroad and have to start with the Europa League, although... We have no more Portuguese clubs left in the Europa League. We still have plenty of managers and players left to play in the Europa League. So we still have something to uh, root for. And obviously, among the interesting matchups with the Portuguese, you've got Luis Castro and Shakhtar taking on Paulo Fonseca and Roma. Uh, then you have a very interesting match with Olympiacos managed by Pedro Martins. Of course, he has uh, Ruben Semedo, uh, José Sá. Um, Bruma on his team, and they're going to be taking on Arsenal and Cedric in the next round of the Europa League. Remember that last year, Olympiacos went to the Emirates and eliminated before the pandemic all came down, and they eliminated Arsenal from the Europa League. So it's kind of a bit of a grudge match um, for Arsenal. 
and uh, they'll be playing um, in the uh, next round of the Europa League. Again, uh, Pedro Martins, by the way, has done a fantastic job. He continues to do a great job with Olympiacos. And should also be mentioned, by the way, I saw a lot of stuff on social media. Ruben Semedu is doing a heck of a job with Olympiacos, continuing to get looks from Fernando Santos for national team call-up. And, uh, you know, back in uh, the fall, you know, there was there were stories that it might be linked going to Benfica. And uh, I think the decision for him to stay at Olympiacos has worked out uh, pretty well based on current uh, results. Uh, the special one and Spurs, they're going to be taking on Dynamo Zebgrab in the next round from Croatia. I think the special one should win that. Uh, they certainly are the favorites. Let's hope. Uh, Bruno Fernandes and Manchester United will be playing AC Milan with, of course, the youngsters, Rafael Leon and Diego Delo. Um, obviously, um, Bruno, the star from Manchester United, uh, playing, of course, an AC Milan team where a uh, really rough weekend for Leon and uh, Diego Delo this weekend because um, obviously um, Inter beat Milan 3-0 and uh, 3-0. And as a result, um, you know, AC Milan uh, now fall four, falls uh, four points behind Inter in the race for the uh, Serie A. Uh, title. Uh, so not a good weekend uh, for the Italian club. And then, of course, Granada, which features uh, Portuguese such as Ruiz Silva, uh, Domingos Duarte, and uh, Domingos Quina, the youngster. They'll be taking on uh, Norwegian side uh, Mold. I think that's a 50-50 match. Any one of those uh, clubs uh, could win. Uh, special mention this week, Bernardo Silva with a great goal in the Champions League on an assist from João Cancelo. Um, Got to mention Andre Silva today. Um, he scored again. He's now scored in five straight matches, and he has 19 goals in 20 matches this season. Of course, he is fresh off of winning the Bundesliga Player of the Month award. So Andre Silva, um, I think there's no doubt that he's going to be on the call-up list next month uh, for uh, Fernando Santos. Uh, Diego Jota came back this week. He had been injured, and he was at training Liverpool uh, taking some photos and putting it on their social media feed. So uh, he is back. Uh, I don't think he'll make the call up for Portugal. I think he's been out for a while. But nevertheless, we're going to need him for the stretch run uh, later this year. Uh, a tough day or a tough few days for Fabio Quintron. Um, the Spanish daily uh, AS came out with a story picking their worst 11 ever for Real Madrid. And unfortunately, Fabio made... Uh, the list. Um, it's kind of unfair to him because how many people play for Real Madrid in their history? I mean, not many. Um, and, uh, you know, he, they based it on his pro his production. I think it was something like 50,000 euros or something or half a million euros. I don't know what it was per point or per assist or whatever. But it was not a very good stat. But at the end of the day, um, he has never been much of a scorer in his career. But unfortunately, he um, is part of that unfortunate list that obviously uh, the uh, the Spanish daily doesn't have a lot to write about these days. So uh, Fabio Quintron on the bad end of a, uh, a very unfortunate uh, story. Uh, I'm going to wrap up this podcast. Last thing I wanted to talk about was, of course, like I always do every episode, and that is the COVID update in Portugal. And let me tell you, one, things are really getting better in Portugal. Um, this week, the cases have been all over a little over a thousand which when you think about two, three weeks ago when it was 16,000 in one day, it has dropped immensely. Uh, Portugal right now is not on 
what we would call the most dangerous list in Europe. Um, they have uh, quickly fallen out of all the lists and they are no longer the hotspot. Um, the government has announced, uh, Antonio Costa, the prime minister, that they're going to start to unravel, uh, open up slowly starting on March the 16th, and that kids could expect to go back to school right around um, the 11th. Well, they're going to announce the plans for how they're going to do that on the 11th, and then on the 16th, they're going to start to open up. But one of the things that is going to come back in Portugal is going to be schools. That'll be one of the first things uh, to open. Um, I know some people in Portugal that are holding up very well, and, and I know some people who are, are losing their patience. Um, pops, you know, especially because their particular area or town doesn't really have much of a problem, but everyone is scared to go out and have to be forced to pay a big fine. And, and, you know, obviously with the lockdown, there are, you know, certain rules, but the good news is that cases have gone down significantly. The only concern right now and why I think the lockdown is going to exist until uh, the 16th of March is because they're trying to get the hospital numbers down and those still have a little bit of ways to go even though cases and the number of people that are leaving the hospital is more than the people that are coming in. So there is some good news in that as well, but uh, the government really wants to tackle this problem. And uh, uh, again, uh, whether we're here, whether we're there, the feeling's all the same. We hope for them to be okay. We hope for you to be okay. And uh, hopefully sooner than later, we can uh, get on with our our lives. Um, I got some family members this weekend who are gonna get the vaccine shot. I'm going to be tagging along with them. I'm not eligible yet, but it's just nice to see more and more people every day in my life hearing stories about people getting the vaccine. And, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, that's obviously very good news. Folks, this has been episode number 57. You can catch this on iTunes, Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, on all the major uh, platforms. Thank you so much for your visits, up 30% over the last month. Uh, over 100 countries have listened to this podcast, usually around 60 or 70 per episode based on the analytics. And um, I just couldn't be more proud. And I just wanted to say thank you for your support, for listening to me talk about Portuguese football, Portuguese soccer, and obviously doing it in the best way possible, as objective as possible. Folks, please take care of yourselves. Take care of your families. Wear a mask. And I'll talk to you uh, next time, next week. Ciao, everybody.